We all love to get out on the open road, see the country, feel the wind in our hair. But if you have the same car you've been driving for years, you might not feel so great after a car breakdown, unless you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield is America's most trusted vehicle protection company, and for almost 20 years, they've helped Americans protect their out-of-warranty vehicles. From car and trucks to SUVs, a plan through CarShield can protect up to 5,000 parts and systems and save you big dollars on your engine, transmission, entertainment system, and more. It's as easy as going to carshield.com Shapiro. With plans that include unlimited miles, road trips have never been easier. Plus, you get exclusive access to CarShield's concierge service, as well as 24-7 roadside assistance and help with flat or damaged tires, lockouts, and rental car options. Call CarShield to speak with an expert here in the U.S. that can answer all your questions and get you a free quote in minutes. Don't wait another minute. Visit CarShield now before a breakdown happens and you get stuck with an expensive repair bill. Save 20% and get your free quote by going to carshield.com Shapiro now. That's carshield.com Shapiro to save 20% today. Vladimir Putin has just weighed in on the 2024 U.S. presidential race, and the Russian president's endorsement has gone to, drumroll please, Joe Biden. When asked who was better for Russia, Putin, without hesitation, replied, Biden. He is a more experienced, predictable person. He is a politician of the old school. But we will work with any leader of the United States who is trusted by the American people. Duh. I come to suck your blood. The libs, if they can't ignore this endorsement, will try to spin it as some sort of old KGB trick. You know, reverse psychology. After all, the libs have been trying in vain to prove that Trump is a Putin stooge for the better part of a decade now. But the proof of the blini is in the tasting. Putin has gotten more of what he wants under Joe Biden than he did under Donald Trump. That's just a fact. Putin invaded Ukraine under Biden. He invaded Crimea under Obama. He invaded Georgia under Bush. Trump is the only president on whose watch Putin did not launch a new invasion. The key word in the Biden endorsement is predictable. Under Donald Trump, there was a 95% chance that Trump would do nothing in response to hypothetical Russian aggression. And there was a 5% chance that Trump would blow up the Kremlin. And that 5% was too risky. So Putin kept his distance. There was a 95% chance under Donald Trump that Trump would let Middle Eastern dictators do as they pleased. And there was a 5% chance that Trump would blow up the top general of one of the Middle Eastern dictators. That unpredictability drove the professional political class at home and abroad insane because it deprived them of their power. Now we've got Mr. Predictable in office, Mr. Biden, and the professional politicians love it. From Washington, D.C., all the way to Moscow. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. I hope you all had very amorous and lovely Valentine's Days. There's a group of guys who did not. These are the guys who are now, according to reports, creating AI avatars of their ex-girlfriends so that they could keep talking to simulacra of their former lovers even after those girlfriends dumped them. Super duper creepy and super duper sad. We will get to that 
in just a moment. First, though, some semi-breaking news, really sad news out of Kansas City. There was a mass shooting at a a Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. Uh, The story has not really made it very far. In fact, I hadn't really seen much about it at all until I came in this morning. And I thought, that's kind of strange. The media usually love to uh, spread stories of mass shootings everywhere. The reason, though, that they're not going to spread the story of this mass shooting is because it doesn't fit the narrative they want. If the mass shooting were some angry white man who went into a school and shot up the school or something, that, of course, would be plastered everywhere. Joe Biden would have already given a speech about it. But because, in this case, it appears that the shooter was a black guy uh, and it was in a a crime-ridden city, the story is probably going to disappear. But it was a major shooting. As of now, I think 20 people injured. One person, very sadly, is dead. A number of others are in critical condition. Really, really awful. And the the shooting appears to have been stopped, not even by the police, but by some fans who saw this happening and some courageous fans went in and tackled this guy, which is a, a very courageous act these days, in, in part, not just because the shooter has a gun and could kill them, but because now if you stop violent attackers from committing crimes, especially if those attackers are black, especially if you're in major cities, you could find yourself in prison for life. I mean, this is what had, this is what that poor Marine discovered on the New York subway. There was a crazy guy who was threatening women, who was, who was really harassing people. And a Marine comes in and stops him from doing it. And what happens? That guy, that guy gets prosecuted for it. The good guys so often get prosecuted. So it appears there were some real acts of bravery here and uh, typical cowardice from the establishment media who aren't going to tell you very much about this. Because even beyond the racial component, which the libs are always so, so big on puffing up, there is the simple fact that these kinds of shootings, this kind of crime is a choice. We talked about this yesterday on the show. 2023 was the deadliest year in Kansas City history. Kansas City has, depending on the rankings, the eighth to the fifth worst murder problem of any city in the United States. And Kansas City isn't even all that big a city. And they have one of the worst murder problems, and it's getting worse. Totally predictable. You have crime spikes all over the country. We talked about this with regard to Ecuador and El Salvador. How is it? That in these places, in the case of El Salvador, it was the most dangerous country on earth. And then within a year or two, it becomes the safest country in the Western Hemisphere. How does that happen? Well, because they elect a guy who enforces the law, who arrests the criminals, who puts them in prison. And what do you know? The crime goes down. We don't do that in America, though. In fact, the most entrenched liberal interests, the financiers, the political operatives, they elect people and they install people into positions on a direct campaign on a blunt and explicit campaign of letting the criminals out of prison, even some right-wingers. Right-wingers have heralded wonderful new step acts that will allow criminals to get out of prison. They've attacked Joe Biden for being tough on crime in the 1990s. So you now have broadly a pro-crime movement in both political parties. And guess what happens? Crime goes up and it's totally predictable And the people who call for that have a little bit of blood on their hands. So that's another reason you're not going to hear very much about that story. Terrible news for the the governing class, up to and including Joe Biden. Now, there's even more bad news for Joe Biden, which is that 
the, the big case that everyone is focusing on in Georgia to prosecute Trump under RICO statutes, the, the kind of laws that were put in place to prosecute the mob, they're going after Donald Trump in Georgia. It's specifically uh, a district attorney named Fannie Willis. And Fannie Willis, this very day, might be thrown off this case because Fannie Willis, it turns out, allegedly hired her lover to be the special prosecutor in this case, this unprecedented case of of prosecuting the leader of the opposition party in the United States, the presumptive nominee for president of one of the two major parties, and a man who already was the president himself. We've never seen anything like this. This is a, a major threat to our constitutional order. And the woman who's pushing it is a total joker. It's complete amateur hour. We knew it was corrupt from the beginning. We know that Joe Biden has been sicking his jackbooted thugs on the political opposition from the beginning. But the corruption goes down even to this tawdry tabloid level where this woman is hiring her lover who was married to someone else. And, and we know some of this, uh, these tawdry details in part because of divorce proceedings for that guy. That guy then gets a sweetheart deal. He's completely unqualified to prosecute the case. He gets paid more than other prosecutors. And then he takes the DA girlfriend on a ton of super fancy trips all over America, beyond America even. It, it, taxpayer dollars that are already being misused because they're being misused to prosecute the leader of the political opposition on bogus, trumped up, pun intended charges. Those taxpayer dollars then being funneled back to the woman who picks the prosecutor so they can go have nice massages on a Caribbean island somewhere. And uh, she denied it. We knew that this woman was guilty as sin because when when these allegations came out, what she did was not necessarily deny that they happened. She didn't provide some legal justification for her actions. No, she went to a black church and played the race card. And she said, people are only going after her because she's a black woman and it's impossible for a black woman to get ahead in America. They got this woman dead to rights. And so then she tried to have this whole scandal dismissed out of court. The judge would not do it. Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee is hearing these arguments today. This woman could be disqualified from prosecuting Trump. Uh, the whole case could be thrown out. Nathan Wade, who's the prosecutor, he could certainly be disqualified. The whole case, after three years of investigation and prosecution, could be dismissed. And this tells you a lot, not just about these corrupt people, not even just about Joe Biden. It tells you a lot about the case against Donald Trump. There is much more to say, but first... Go to AmericanFinancing.net. If you are like most Americans, you're struggling to make ends meet. Everything is more expensive these days. By the time you pay the bills, fill up your car, go grocery shopping, there's almost nothing left. You're laying out your credit cards for all non-essentials or maybe even some essentials. Last I checked, the average credit card interest rate for Americans is sitting at 24%. That is insane. How are you supposed to dig yourself out of all that debt? If you own a home, I want you to call my friends at American Financing right now. Interest rates have finally dropped into the fives, which is the lowest they've been in a long time. Call American Financing to talk about their refinance options. They save their customers an average of $854 a month by tapping into their home equity and wiping out high-interest credit card debt. Think about it. $854 a month is like a $10,000 raise. What a relief that could be for you and your family. Don't wait to take control of your finances. These rates might not last long. Act today. Call American Financing at 800-685-5696. And if you call today, you may not have to make next month's mortgage payment. That is 800-685-5696. You can also visit AmericanFinancing.net. Enter NMLS ID NMLS 
182334 at nmlsconsumeraccess.org. APR for rates in the five start at 6.406% for well-qualified borrowers. Call 800-685-5696 for details about credit costs and terms. The way you know that the case against Donald Trump, what case? The cases, the four prosecutions against Donald Trump, the way you know that they are bogus is... One, there's four of them. They're obviously just throwing spaghetti at the wall. Some are at the federal level, some are at the state level. Here you've got Fulton County going after him. Some, it's a it's an alleged sex crime that occurred in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room in the 90s or whatever. Some, it's that he picked up a phone and, and called the Secretary of State of Georgia. Some, it's that he had documents like every former president has and sometimes even vice presidents like Joe Biden. You know, it's just total, they're throwing spaghetti at the wall. That's the first way you know these things are bogus. The second way you know that these prosecutions are bogus, is the personnel. This is amateur hour. This woman is prosecuting certainly the most important case of her life, one of the most significant cases in American history. And she's so undisciplined. She's such a clown that she decides she's going to use this as an opportunity to funnel some money to her lover. She can't even control her loins. She's going to funnel the money to her lover so that he can give her a kickback and take her on a fancy vacation. Even beyond the immorality of it all, it's just so unprofessional. It's just such a joke. Okay, that's the other way, you know, that this this is a total joke. And uh, finally, the way you know that that these prosecutions against Trump are a total joke is they're just they're trying to rush them before the election. So Trump keeps saying, "Okay, look, there's obvious impropriety going on here in Georgia. There's this there's this double standard in Washington D.C. Joe Biden, the special counsel discovered that Joe Biden did a more egregious version of the thing they're accusing Trump of doing. Hold on here, you're not going to prosecute Biden, but you are going to prosecute me. This is ridiculous. We need to." at least delay these things until after the election. And the Democrats are fighting tooth and nail to get the prosecutions before the election. Because I think they know that legally these, these things are, are ridiculous. I mean, this is really, really thin stuff. But if they can just create a little tempest in a teapot, if they can create the appearance of criminality, even if it all turns out to be totally bogus, maybe they've got a better chance of winning the election. Pathetic stuff. Just as this DA is going to play the race card because she has nothing else to play, that's why the Democrats broadly are throwing spaghetti at the wall with Donald Trump. Now, speaking of that special counsel report, the special counsel, it's very difficult to keep all of, track of all of these things, all the different investigations and all the impropriety and alleged impropriety by our political class. The special counsel that was appointed to look into Joe Biden's classified document scandal, he came out and he said, yeah, the guy's guilty as sin. He certainly mishandled these documents. He didn't only keep some documents after his presidency locked in a room at Mar-a-Lago, but he was the vice president. He did not have ultimate declassification authority. He had documents all over the place. He had no idea where these documents were. And one of them was in a a garage next to an old car in a home that has a crack addict. A crack addict who regularly sells his father's influence to make millions of dollars overseas. uh, It's got, that guy's just kind of traipsing around. So a far more egregious version, and and the special counsel says, the guy's guilty as sin, but he's unfit to stand trial. He's an amiable old man. He doesn't know what day it is. He doesn't know what end is up. Uh, So we're not going to prosecute because of that. And the libs probably should just take the win and move on, but they can't because that's so damning. It's so damning that this man, if he's not fit to stand trial, he's obviously not fit to be president of the United States, and they can't let it go. So Jen Psaki, 
former White House press secretary, she goes on her MSNBC show and attacks the special counsel. You know, one of the points that you've made and and other legal minds have said about this report is that it kind of goes, of course, outside of the scope of norms. It it goes, his reporting and who he talked to went outside of what would be normal, even for a special counsel. Do you think that should be investigated or looked into? Because the judicial system, the judiciary is kind of in a, a, a not a positive view necessarily by the American public at this point. Well, in the role that I have, all I can do is point it out, which is you had an investigation that ran for 15 months, which could have been concluded in just a few months. There was never any question that the president had not engaged in criminal wrongdoing. He was the self-reporting party here. He had turned the documents over upon discovery, cooperated in every respect. And yet somehow in this report, uh, the special counsel felt compelled to engage in this irrelevant, unfounded, and often pejorative commentary. And I think it's clear that uh, that commentary is inconsistent with department norms. Okay, so their argument is that this extra commentary on the president's mental state is totally improper to a special counsel report. Okay, the problem for them is that the extra commentary that the special counsel provided is the only reason that they're not prosecuting him. (laughs) So what the Democrats want here is to have their cake and eat it too. Biden committed the crime. They've got him dead to rights. He's much guiltier than Donald Trump on this exact same issue. The only way that the special counsel, that the prosecutors can get out of prosecuting him is by saying the guy's head has turned to pudding and he's, he's not fit to stand trial. But if they say that the guy's head has turned to pudding and he's not fit to stand trial, then that hurts his his presidential campaign because if he's not fit to stand trial, he's not fit to be president. So what would you rather? Would you rather that the feds prosecute Biden for this crime? That'll hurt his presidential campaign too. Or would you rather them use the only excuse available to them not to prosecute him, which is that the guy's brain has turned to mush? You You have to pick one. You can't. If it's not one, it's going to be the other. What doesn't get you on the rinse is going to get you in the wash. That's a new phrase I learned recently. And But they don't want to have either. Well, okay, sorry, darling, you got to pick one. And Biden ended up with the conclusion that was most advantageous to him, but he's got to deal with the consequences of that. Saki, his former spokesman, doesn't want to deal with it. The Democrat establishment's still pretty miffed about this. The establishment hacks are all trying to carry water for Joe Biden. This includes not only the Democrats, but even the fake Republicans. Not the, not the real conservatives, but the, the MSNBC conservatives, people like Joe Scarborough, who for five minutes was a Republican member of Congress and since then has uh, been a Democrat, effectively a Democrat commentator on MSNBC. Here is their fury over the special counsel report suggesting that, well, you know, because Joe Biden can't remember when he was vice president, because Joe Biden can't remember when his son died, uh, perhaps he shouldn't have the nuclear codes. It's uh, John Heilman. We've seen examples over and over again of Donald Trump just losing it on stage here. And you, you, you had the whole political world come to a stop, first of all, because for some reason you had the guy, uh, the special counsel asking, hey, um, what uh, what year did did your son die? 
And supposedly he didn't remember what year his son died. And, and this was the most damning thing. I said this yesterday and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just older people. We've, we've lived a busy and active life, but nobody's closer to me. Nobody's been closer to me in my life than my mom. If somebody asked me in the middle of the deposition, what year did your mom die? I go, I don't know, 2017, 2018, 2019. I don't know. I can tell you everything about it. I can tell you my final word, but, but, but again, that and same thing with Mika and her dad. Are you kidding me, man? Are you kidding me? For those of you out there in the audience who have lost a parent, do you remember when your parent died? I do. I'll go further than that. Lost a few grandparents at this point. Do you remember when your grandparents died? I do. In fact, I don't only remember the year, I remember the day. And I bet you do too. And frankly, I bet Joe Scarborough does too. This is so weak. If Joe Scarborough wants to just spout Democrat talking points as a fake Republican and make that his career, okay, that's one way to earn money. I'm not even going to really knock him for it. But man, how can you keep a straight face when you tell me that, that, that when you cannot remember the death, forget the death of a, lo- a loved one generally, the death of your parents, the death of... When you're talking about the death of a child, which is unnatural, which is so traumatic, it's so much more traumatic than the death of a parent or the death of a grandparent, and you're telling me you can't remember even within a few years the details of that, and put aside the death of a family member, Joe Biden couldn't remember when he was vice president. I think that if you serve as president or vice president of the United States and your brain is even semi-functioning, you should probably remember when that occurred. And Joe Scarborough, with a straight face, is actually going to look at me and he's going to tell me, oh, no, that's crazy. Why would, why would anyone remember when he was vice president of the United States? What? No, why would anyone remember the details surrounding the most traumatic events in their lives? Are you joking, bro? This is the difference between the leftists and the honest liberals, with whom I disagree, but who you know are at least sincere in their beliefs, and the establishment hacks. And I'm sorry to say Joe Scarborough is clearly revealing himself to be an establishment hack, just like those ladies on The View, just like everyone who is defending Joe Biden's vigor, virility, and intellect right now. 86% of Americans don't buy it, but these guys' livelihoods, these guys, the job of these people is to say that the emperor is wearing a big, beautiful coat and gown and wardrobe, even though the emperor is wandering around naked because the emperor is obviously senile. There is much more to say, but first, go to ramp.com slash Knowles. When you're running a business, time is money, baby. That is why I'm so excited to have Ramp as a new sponsor for this show. If you are a finance professional looking for a better way to maximize productivity and cut wasteful spending, then Ramp could be for you. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. With Ramp, you can issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions, automate expense reporting, and stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time, so you don't have to. You will never have to chase down a receipt again, and your employees will no longer spend hours submitting expense reports. The time that you will save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Ramp is easy to use. Get started in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. Get 250 bucks 
when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash Knowles. That is R-A-M-P dot com slash K-N-O-W-L-E-S. One more time, that's ramp.com slash Knowles. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members, FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. Speaking of Democrat, or rather Republican congressman and former Republican congressman, Mark Green, a Republican congressman whom I very much like and admire, a man who was House Homeland Security Committee chairman, he is resigning. He's leaving Congress. Another one bites the dust. Why is another Republican leaving Congress? No, we have a razor-thin majority and we, we keep losing or coming very close to losing on really tight votes. Why are we losing a good Republican congressman? Well, here's what Congressman Green says. At the start of the 118th Congress, I promised my constituents to pass legislation to secure our borders and to hold Secretary Mayorkas accountable. Today, with the House having passed H.R. 2 and Secretary Mayorkas impeached, it is time for me to return home. In the past few months, in reading the writings of our framers, I was reminded of their intent for representatives to be citizen legislators, to serve for a season, and then return home. Our country and our Congress is broken beyond most means of repair. I've come to realize our fight is not here within Washington. Our fight is with Washington. As I've done my entire life, I will continue serving this country, but in a new capacity. Okay, fair enough. The one point I would dispute here is, the citizen legislators are supposed to go and finish their terms and then, and then come back. I agree they're, they're not necessarily intended to be in the same political office for their whole careers as many members of Congress do. But, but you know, I'm not even going to knock Congressman Green for this because he's right about Congress being totally broken and distorted. And, he, and he's right about it being largely a pointless job. I, I get it. You, you could not pay me enough right now to be a member of the House of Representatives. Not because I don't think that people who run for that office can have noble motivations. Not because I think public service is not a worthwhile thing. But the Congress has no power. For goodness sakes, the Senate barely has any power. Remember Jim DeMint, great conservative congressman, or great conservative senator, rather. Jim DeMint left the Senate not too far into his term to go run the Heritage Foundation, and he did it because he realized he'd have more power at the Heritage Foundation than he does in the United States Senate, supposedly the most important deliberative body in the world. And how did that come to be? That came to be because the power of the Congress, of the House, and of the Senate has been diminished greatly in recent decades. Part of that is because they gave their power away to the administrative state. Part of that is because... The, the government just kind of runs on its own. Part of that is because the, the two parties are in constant gridlock. So they, the, the, even if the Congress were inclined to exercise power, they're just not uh, institutionally capable anymore of doing so. So the power is naturally going to flow to other agencies. But I get it. Why, why would a, an ambitious, talented conservative run for Congress now? Some do it. It's a great sacrifice. I'm very grateful to the ones who do. But it's a brutal job. You don't really do it for money. You make a little bit of money, but there's so many rules on all your money, and you can't. There's easier ways to make a buck, that's for sure. You don't get to see your family for something like five days a week. You've got to go and deal with those people. <laughs> You've got to be around Washington, D.C. with many of the worst people on earth. You accomplish nothing. You almost can't accomplish anything. And then people hate you for it. I don't know, what's the point for that? And if there is going to be a conservative revival, is it going to happen in Washington, D.C.? Or is it going to happen in the States? I hope it's in both. 
I hope conservatives in Washington, D.C. can retake some power and then actually wield that power. I hope so. But right now, if, if I were a gambling man, I would say you probably have a better shot in the states. And the other reason that I guess it's okay that Congressman Green is retiring is it's Tennessee. So they'll replace him with another Republican. But it's a bad sign. It's a bad sign right now that even strong, serious, conservative politicians are saying, yeah, there's really no place for me in the House of Representatives. There's really no purpose to being here. Speaking of leaving jobs, Rachel Dolezal, the most famous transracial woman in America, has lost her job. She obviously previously lost her job as a major black rights activist because she lied about being black and she's actually white as the freshly driven snow. Uh, so she lost that job and then she fell into some financial hard times. And then she got a new job working at an elementary school and she's lost that job. And I, I feel a great deal of pity for Rachel Dolezal, in part because she's got a screw loose, in part because whatever the cause of her madness Certainly part of that cause was our society, our, our social madness that says that white people are evil and black people are angelic. And therefore, we, uh, if you're a white person, you, you might want to just try to pretend to be black because it's the only way to have any virtue whatsoever. And, and she really took that lesson quite to heart. I, I have a great deal of pity for her. But she should have been fired. Obviously. The, the story here with Rachel Dolezal is that she lost her job at Catalina Foothills School District. Uh, she was an, an after-school instructor, and she lost that job because she has an OnlyFans account. Yeah, schools should have the right to fire you from working with little kids if you are a prostitute or a pornographer or otherwise doing creepy, immoral things. Yeah, that's true. The libs who encourage, they, they actually probably think we should prioritize hiring pornographers in elementary schools. And they, they, we know that they want gay porn in elementary schools. We know that they're, they're fighting tooth and nail to keep bizarre books like Gender Queer in elementary schools so they can trans little kids. But they, they also want to get weirdo adults in there. They, want, they promote after-school Satan clubs. It's a real thing. That's not Google it. It's a real. It's a real news story. Uh, they they encourage weird adults to talk about sex to little kids, and including here, uh, I guess Rachel Dolezal did not. She she went a bridge too far, and so she lost her job. Uh, there will be the argument that well, Rachel Dolezal, look, she keeps that part of her life private, and that when she when she's not doing porn when she's at the elementary school, that's one kind of life, and then she has her other her side hustle, and those those things are totally separate. It, it, the story with regard to Rachel Dolezal is really apt because it's indicative of our, mo our broadly schizophrenic culture. We all believe that we can just neatly compartmentalize all these different aspects of our lives. We think that we can divide everything from everything else. We can divide the individual from the family. We can even divide the body from the soul. My true self can be different than my physical self. We can divide what I do at work from what I do at home. We can divide my marriage from my, I don't know, uh, affairs or something. We can divide, but you can't divide those things. We can divide my religious life, that's what I do for an hour on Sundays, from my, the rest of my life. We can, do, we can just privatize and compartmentalize everything. You can't. You're a person. You're one person. 
Your body and soul, those things are going to have something to do with each other. You're a member of a family, those things, that's where you're going to find your identity. Your family's part of a community, you're going to find your identity in there. Your community's part of a state, you're going to find some identity in there. Your state is part of a country, you're going to find some identity in there. You are not merely an autonomous individual. This is a corrective, I've said it many times, I'll say it again. This is a corrective for the right as much as it is for the left. Because both the right and the left in America have bought into a utopian vision of exalted autonomy, of self-sovereignty. They've both bought into liberalism. This is one of the biggest problems in American politics. If you asked me, why is it that the conservatives keep losing on everything. And we win a little bit here and there, but we just get washed away with the tide. We can't even conserve the women's bathroom. Why is that? The reason for that is that the liberals in America are Marxists and the conservatives in America are liberals. And so your real battle is between liberals and Marxists and that's, that fight is going to pull you to the left. There's no one who's really all that conservative. There are a handful of people in public life, and that is increasing to some degree. But broadly, if you want to know why we lose, that's why we lose. And, and even here, when, when, when you're arguing about something like, why shouldn't we have weird sex stuff in schools for kids? Even the way that conservatives argue is so liberal. It's so leftist. They'll say, well, because this bad consequence could occur. We shouldn't let men into the women's bathroom because a woman might be raped. We shouldn't let uh, men compete against women in sports because the girls might lose their trophies. We shouldn't let, uh, we shouldn't, uh, I don't know, we shouldn't even uh, raise taxes because it could lead to this bad economic consequence. We shouldn't open up our borders and not enforce our immigration laws because it leads to more crime and it leads to more drugs and it leads to more, but it's all of that reasoning is consequentialist reasoning, which is fundamentally a left-wing kind of ethical view. The real answer to all these things, why shouldn't we have pornographers in our elementary schools? Why shouldn't dudes use the women's bathroom? Why should we enforce our immigration laws? Is because allowing pornographers in schools is intrinsically wrong. It's intrinsically disordered. There's no right to pornography in elementary schools. The reason we should enforce our immigration law is because that is the law, and that civil law derives from natural law, and the natural law is correct because the actions in themselves are good or bad. That's, that's conservative reasoning, but no, no side even talks about that. Big wonder that conservatives continue to lose the culture, and the Republicans who do take the plunge to try to work things out in politics, often get so discouraged that they say, I'm going to come home, I can, do, I can do more good from my own home. Now, speaking of weird sex stuff, really creepy story. Dudes have made AI avatars of their ex-girlfriends to get them through lonely nights. There's a new app, it's called Talk to Your Ex. The, the app is currently on wait list. So many people are eager to use this. On the app, talk to your ex, you can create an avatar that looks kind of like your ex-girlfriend, and then you upload chat logs to the app. It's a language learning model, and then the app learns to talk like your ex-girlfriend. And the more chat logs you upload, and look, everybody now has every word you ever utter to another person on permanent record on their phone. You just upload that, and then you get to talk to your ex-girlfriend who dumped you again. Really sad, really pathetic, obviously super creepy. Can you imagine even these poor women who dump these, these creepy dudes 
and then they've got a fake version of themselves. Like the, the guys just say, no, you can't dump me. <laughs> no, you can't. Well, maybe you can do You can go anywhere you want, but I'm going to create a robot version of you and we're going to be together forever. <laughs> I love you. Super, super. I feel terrible for these women. And I feel bad for the guys too, because I could see how this could be tempting. If you're, you, you'd have to get through a lot of stages first. You'd have to You'd have to be really alienated from your community. You'd have to be super addicted to pornography. You would have to be uh, really bad at talking to people and, you know, going out and meeting a new girl. And you'd, you'd, have, to, you'd have to be pretty divorced from reality in order to get into something like this. But that, that describes a lot of people today. So many of these supposedly disconnected social pathologies, I think, owe to this basic fact that we live our lives now mostly in the virtual realm. We don't live our lives mostly in the real world. I mean, literally we do because time goes on and we move and our hearts continue to beat and we, we continue to be both body and soul and, you know, flesh and stuff. But in our own perception of it. Now, we're, we're spending most of our day on screens. When we talk to people, we're having most of our social interaction mediated by a screen, mediated by a keyboard, mediated at the very, very least by a Zoom camera. So for those guys, if, if your relationship with your ex-girlfriend was, let's call it 60% on your phone anyway, then what's the difference? What, just from the matter of perception, Obviously, there's a difference because in one, you're talking to a disembodied robot demon kind of thing. And in the other one, you're, you're talking to a real flesh and blood human being. But if most of your relationship is virtual, then what's the difference between your real ex-girlfriend and this weirdo robot? It's part of a much broader social problem that has also come to the attention of social scientists, which we'll get to in one second. First, though, Right now is your chance to get 30% off Daily Wire Plus annual memberships during our President's Day sale when you use code DW30 at checkout. Your Daily Wire Plus membership is your backstage pass to conversations with the smartest and most trusted talent in America. And the most handsome is what I say. It's your front row seat to the Daily Wire's upcoming hit movies and series, such as The Pendragon Cycle, Mr. Burcham, Snow White and the Evil Queen, and more. It's your inside access to ad-free, uncensored news and opinions that matter to you. You get it all and so much more with your Daily Wire Plush membership. And right now, it's 30% off during our President's Day sale. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code DW30 at checkout. And while we're talking about all the great stuff you get in the Daily Wire universe, you know, we're talking about the real physical world. It's not just all virtual. I've got two two products on my desk here that will help bring that Daily Wire ambiance into your home. Of course, the uh, Smells and Bells candle launched just in time for Lent. I love the smell of old churches and monasteries. Uh, you can have that to uh, suggest uh, uh, the wonderful aspects of the Lenten season. Uh, and also, speaking of smells, Mayflower cigars, baby. We have them. There, there are still some available for pre-order at the rate that they are selling, this is a massive, massive order of Mayflower cigars. After months and months of them aging, and a lot of people sending me angry emails about how they want more Mayflowers, uh, they are they are available for pre-order. I think we will sell out before we get stock in. So even though we massively increase the order, at just the rate that they're selling, I, I think they're going to be gone. So if you want any Mayflower cigars, Mayflower Dawn is the perfect morning cigar. It is the perfect cigar for those who are 
not daily cigar smokers, you know, they're people who dabble now and then. Mayflower Dawn, available in three sizes. Mayflower Dusk is my preferred blend, a little more full-bodied, just both of these absolutely magnificent blends. And the sampler packs and all the right. And sampler pack might be sold out already. But all, all sorts of little bags and things. Go to MayflowerCigars.com. You have to be 21 years old or older to order. Some exclusions apply. My favorite comment yesterday is from Frank S. 111. Democrats, you mean that we make others give us free labor in exchange for some housing? Why didn't we think of this before? I know, I think they did think of that before. This in response, I imagine, to the uh, refugee story yesterday. Oh, yes. This illegal immigration is wonderful. Because I can invite some of these illegal immigrants into my home and they'll cook for me and mow my lawn and raise my kids and I don't have to pay them anything. Isn't that, wow, why didn't someone think of this? This is amazing. From 2003 to 2022, Americans reduced their average hours of face-to-face socializing, of, of hanging out dramatically. Just men in that slightly under 20-year time span, men reduce their face-to-face socializing by 30%. Unmarried Americans, who you would expect would continue to socialize. You know, married guys, sometimes we have, uh, you know, the wife doesn't want us to go out to that uh, cigar night. And, you know, I, that that's usual. But the unmarried guys, you figure they can go out and socialize whenever they want, right? Well, it turns out the unmarried Americans are socializing at an even lower rate. Or rather, I should say, the rate of decline is even higher for the unmarried Americans than it is for the married Americans. That dropped by 35% for them. Teenagers, well, at least teenagers are still hanging out, right? Teenagers are young and vibrant. They don't really have that many responsibilities. Their drop was 45%. Boys and girls ages 15 to 19 reduced their weekly social hangouts by more than three hours a week. So in the words of The Atlantic, this is a liberal magazine. It's not even one of these typical right-wing, you know, the de- decline of the West, the world is over, it's all, it's all done, uh, catastrophic articles. It's, it's from The Atlantic. This is a center-left magazine. They say, in short, there is no statistical record of any other period in U.S. history when people have spent more time on their own. We've heard about this for many, many years. Robert Putnam wrote the famous book, Bowling Alone, about the decline of civic associations, of people just spending more and more time alone. Uh, You've seen a lot of social scientists talk about this in recent years. Why is that? Well, it's not just that they're sitting alone twiddling their thumbs. They're sitting alone, and sometimes they're they're doing activities that are totally alone. Sometimes they're just watching TV. But, but, it, it scratches the itch a little bit of socializing when you watch TV because there are people on screen. They're not really there with you. They're not really talking to you. But there are these glittering images of people. So it you can kind of almost convince yourself that you're socializing. You're not, and it's not really going to satisfy you, and it is going to make you more lonely and alienated. But you can say, okay. Or the worst version of that, you're looking at pornography. It sort of, sort of feels... Scratches an itch, so to speak, I guess. You, know, you sort of feel like you're with people and in intimate acts, but you're not. It's just glittering images on a screen. Or let's say video games. Now, video games, you might say, well, it's a little more social because there might be people who are playing live with you. You might hear someone in your earpiece. You might see someone in a chat log. Or you go on a social media app and you read some tweets and you kind of feel like, but it's not, people are really alienated. And not merely coincidentally, when people are alienated in this way from the physical world, 
They start to get all sorts of ideas about how their bodies really don't have anything to do with who they are. They start to get all sorts of ideas about how their families and communities don't have anything to do with who they are. You see community breakdown. You see even the, bre- the breakdown of the family, of course, and then even the breakdown of the human person, a-, a division between body and soul, if that were possible, at least an imagined division of those things. Why? Why all of this coming apart? Because no matter how hard we try, no matter how advanced the, the glittering screens get and the technology and the chat bots and everything else, we are incarnate beings. We are flesh and blood, and soul and spirit, but flesh and blood too, in time and space and history. We're human beings. This is why COVID made everyone really depressed and rates of suicide skyrocketed and rates of drug use skyrocketed because Zoom calls are not enough. That's not real life. Your computer is not real life. We are human beings. And so long as we remain human beings, as long as we don't have the the chip fully in our brain stems and we're not totally plugged into the matrix, and frankly, even once we are, we're still going to be bodies. And you can't have a, you can't have a virtual wife. And you you can't even really have a a virtual friend. That's That's a fine beginning. Maybe you meet your wife on some dating app. Maybe you make a friendship over the internet. But unless that that relationship ceases to be mediated by technology and screens and and develops into a fully human relationship that involves body and flesh and blood and you're going to hug your friend and give him a high five and sit together and spend time in a real physical space you are going to feel more alienated you are going to feel less and less human no coincidence another related story less than half of americans today feel very satisfied with their own lives. You might say, well, isn't that just always the case? You know, life is, life is suffering. Life is, this is a tough life, kid. And you got, no, actually, this is just the third time in more than two decades that less than half of Americans say they're very satisfied with the way things are. 47% of U.S. adults express high satisfaction with their lives. That's dropped three points over the past year, and it's only one point higher than the 2011 record low for that trend. So what does that tell us? Is it just that these snowflakes, the the, the typical right-wing, <laughs> cheap, kind of boomery right-wing responses, these snowflakes don't know how good they've got it. You know, they've got iPads, for goodness sakes. We didn't have iPads when I was a kid. We had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to go to school. These kids, these people are so depressed. They shouldn't be. Snap out of it. Cupcake. Okay. The liberal view, not totally unrelated, is, no, guys, you don't understand. It, GDP is really high. No, guys, you just don't get it. You don't understand. It's actually really, I know you're miserable and your like, relatives are killing themselves on fentanyl and your wife left you and your kid thinks that she's a dude and the country's been flooded by people who don't speak your language and you got to press four for English when you call the bank. But no, but actually, you're really happy. You just don't know it. Here, take some more psychiatric drugs. That'll remind you how happy you are. That's that's another take on it, too. The leftists are going to say, well, you know, the the total tanky communists are going to say people are unhappy because of capitalism. And there's a little truth to that, but these guys are total left-wing lunatics and they're unhappy because of the bourgeois values and we need revolution and blood in the streets for them to be happy. None of that, none of that is quite accurate, I think. People are less satisfied with their lives 
because they are living less human lives. The issue isn't that people need more psychiatric drugs. The issue isn't that people need more money. You know, Barack Obama saying, if we just give iPhones to everyone in Syria, that's going to have them convince them to stop being jihadis. Frankly, you give iPhones to everyone in Syria, they're going to be less happy if you, if you ask me to make a bet about it. It's not because we need to overthrow the bourgeoisie and have blood in the streets and have a communist revolution. It's not because we need to just buck up and have a stiff upper lip entirely. It's, it's because your satisfaction is going to come from your happiness, from your happiness in the ancient Aristotelian sense of that term, eudaimonia, flourishing, from doing excellent activity in virtue over an extended period of time. That's what's going to make you happy. And this is ultimately the measure of the political health of a society. The ultimate measure of the health of a society is not GDP. It's not my freedom. You know, it's not, hey, I have the right to have orgies every Thursday night and I can chop off my appendages. Isn't this the greatest society? No, that's not the measure of it. The measure of, of it is not per total autonomy. The measure of the political health of a society is satisfaction happiness, eudaimonia, really basic stuff, folks, because the major charges of a society are do good and avoid evil, just as, as those are the major charges of individuals as well. And when you see numbers like this, that should give everyone pause. And that should, that should, your first reaction should not be denial. And your first reaction should not be to just continue pushing the same old nonsense you've been pushing for, forever that has led us nowhere. If you, if you want to be happy, then you've got to take happiness seriously. My friend Dennis Prager has said, happiness is a serious business. And the people who took happiness seriously were the ancients. The people who took happiness seriously were, were great men like Aristotle, okay? And, and then you, you baptize that kind of pagan concept of happiness in the church through St. Thomas Aquinas. Something very important to think about as, as this Lenten season has us giving up all the glittering material things to, to more or less degree, and focusing on what really counts. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.